Hello and welcome to DevRel Book Club. Hi, Ramon. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you, Matt. And hi, everybody who's listening or joining in live. It's great to be back being with you today. Yeah, it is. It's been a little while. I'm Matthew Ravel. Uh, I work at Hoopy as a DevRel consultant, and I'm very excited to be back after a couple of months break with the DevRel Book Club. And Ramon, who have we got with us today? Yeah, today we're going to be joined by Tessamero, who will be um, talking to us about her experiences with the book, uh, The First 90 Days by Michael D. Watkins. Uh, I'm very excited to have her on. Tessa, Hello. welcome to the DevRel Book Club. Thank you. Thank you for having me here. Whereabouts are you joining us from? I am based in Seattle, Washington. So just just tell us a little bit about your your role in DevRel right now and kind of what brought you to this point in your career. Sure. I am head of developer relations at AppRite.io. Uh, my previous position was director of developer relations at uh, Cloudinary. And I've worked my way from like being a, a software engineer and then I was a programming teacher and then moved into uh, being a developer advocate then um, and then basically just climbed the, the ladder from there. Um, and mostly because I was always fascinated of, of what um, growth looks like and what the next position is. And I've always um, molded my responsibilities and, and, and things I work on based on what that looks like. And I'm in the current position because I've always had this uh, dream of working for a small startup, smaller company than, than my previous company, and kind of going back into my open source roots as it's a fully um, free and open source software. And um, in the past, I uh, for like five or six years, I contributed to an open source um, uh, org, uh, which is why... Uh, which contributed a lot to to my success throughout my career. That's a that's a brilliant history. Thank you so much for sharing, Tessa. It's really inspiring to hear from folks who who kind of undergo this journey and then sort of, you know, in a sense, want to return to their roots as well. It kind of shows that there's a there's a grounding there. And I'm and I'm curious because you know you 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 recommended this book that we're re that we're talking about today, the first ninety days, and I'd love to know how how this book played into that and how, you know, how it's influenced sure. your career, why you picked this book in general. <laughs> so for the last three and a half years, I've been consistently meeting with an executive coach and an executive coach is not something I've ever heard of. When, when I first hired one, I actually reached out to an executive um, in like 2016 um, and asked, Hey, can you mentor me? I just like have random questions all the time. How did you get to your point in your career? What, what, what were small milestones that you worked towards? And then this person recommended, Hey, like, you know what? My executive coach doesn't take on new clients, but I think, you know, out of recommendation, strong recommendations, I think um, this person will be willing to meet with you and had like a two hour, like interview with this coach to determine whether I can be a client or not. And the conversation went really well. And um, I would say part of my success is from being properly coached by a re retired executive from Microsoft who was responsible of building a very large department there. And um, one of the conversations I had um, was, yeah, I'm, I'm starting this new position. I know it's really risky and I'm leaving a really good position where I have even more opportunities to move up. 
um, but this is like a different type of opportunity, an opportunity where, you know, I can build something rather than being at something that's already established. And he's like, have you read the book the first 90 days? I'm like, no, what's that? And then that's where that conversation came from. Um, and he, he, he recommended different uh, videos to watch, um, but it was mostly this book. And we kind of went over so many different topics and, um, and in depth in, in each topic. And um, so I really had a good understanding of, and he's worked with thousands and thousands of CEOs and executives and, and everything is just like, he knows the answer to everything and just like, just really understands and has a, a really good vision and, and, and it's, and it's helped a lot. And this book was just the most magical book ever. Like after reading the book, I had the, my entire like plan laid out in my head. And then I wrote my entire 90 day plan for myself to work towards. Um, I didn't follow it exactly. I didn't present the plan to, to the team, like some companies require, you know, if you get hired as a head of developer relations or VP, they, they require some will ask for like a 90 day plan. Oh, wow. Um, but, or they ask for that, like during your job interview. Um, but I kind of wrote one for myself. Um, so I can kind of guide myself and, and it ended up changing quite a bit based on adapting to the current company and team. So I, I wrote out my plan based on just how I worked my first three months. Right. So let's 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 dive in a little bit into the book itself. So Michael D. Watkins is a former, I think, Harvard Business School professor who had been doing lots of research around what makes a good transition. And then this book is the distillation of all that work, um, backed up by real stories by people that he's interviewed and done research with. Um, I think it's, it's even if you're not in a, in a leadership position and it's aimed at leaders, I think even if you're not a leader, then it seems to be very relevant to developer relations generally, because one of the key themes that I found in the book was one of I guess managing risk and DevRel seems to be quite a risky role, quite a, a risky department in some ways because of the lack of institutional knowledge around developer relations. So I, I you know, looking at, um, at my notes here, I, I guess one of the things that, that struck me was this idea that, and it's, I guess it's common sense, but this idea that when you start a new job, you have an unre unrepeatable moment where people's opinion of you isn't fixed. And in that short, precious period of time, you can either give people a bad opinion or a good opinion. And obviously there's way more to the book than that, but that, that was kind of one of the things that struck me was that old adage of first impressions matter. So, Tessa, I'm wondering, like, how do you, how do you go into a new role, um, or what would, what's your advice for people going into a new role and not coming off as someone who's too brusque or a know-it-all, but also not going in and being almost too humble? 
the, the, this is the mistake that a lot of executives would make when they jump into a new role. They feel like the expectations are so high that they just go straight into saying, this is what we need to do. This is the plan. We need to get started. These, these are the deadlines. And the rest of the team is like, who is this person? Why are they acting like this? Why should I listen to them? And like, we're humans. So we just have a natural way of just start questioning things. Um, you, you have to take time to learn to listen first. Listen, learn who you're working with, learn the best ways to communicate with each individual and let them learn about you and get the buy-in from individuals with talking about your, your previous experience and your education, or it's usually education doesn't always matter, but if you, if you have that, um, and, and under have your team understand the value you are here to bring with, with the knowledge that you have, rather than just jumping straight into seeing what needs to happen. And you'll, if you earn respect from others, you'll be surprised how much people will listen to you. Yeah, that was that was something that 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 really it's one of those things where you've 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 got some thoughts in your head, but seeing them printed out in word form really solidifies this as, oh yeah, this is something people do and understand and 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 are good, decent strategies for being able to be a successful leader. And and this is something that struck me a lot reading this book. I've um I've had a head of position, but I've never really led a team before. And I found that as someone who's never led a team, I still found this book extremely helpful for me as some as somebody maybe who wants to someday um lead a team. Um and 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 one part that particularly stood out to me that really I'd never thought about was how to handle, for example, that transition, that transitionary period where, for example, you've been promoted over someone who someone in your team who was going for the same position. How to handle that, right? That's that's the exact sound I made when I read that part. <laughs> I've I've been in that situation before and it was oh. the most scariest, especially being a woman and the exact same situation. Um, but I, I just took the time to, to have the conversations in private with, with the individual and acknowledging the feelings, acknowledging the emotions that are, that are happening because we're humans and it, it's okay to have emotions and, and feel certain things and, and just get giving them the understanding that you, you, um, you can see their perspective and just letting people kind of soak the situation in and, and it takes time. And I think, and, and things work out over time. Um, it's, it's a tough one. It's, I don't, I don't have like a perfect answer, but I've been in the situation and my situation worked out. Okay. <laughs> um, but it is, it is the most uncomfortable situation you can probably experience. <laughs> yeah, I'm, and I'm and I'm sorry to bring that up. I, I didn't mean to to <laughs> to cause any <laughs> discomfort there. No, it was more like how and how. Sorry. It and it's going it's it's going to happen in in a lot of different teams where you know people are working towards a promotion or towards a role and and don't, and then someone else will get it, and understanding like how to deal with that situation in advance would would be a really good good thing to have good skill to have 
Yeah, and I think so, it's a good reminder. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, go ahead, Roman. <laughs> no, sorry. I think it, it, it speaks well to what you were saying before, Tessa, about the importance of like acknowledging that we are all human beings and we're all trying to navigate, you know, these different situations. And, you know, the first ninety days is it's a it's a period of change. Um, and it, because when 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 somebody joins a team, some when somebody leads starts leading a team, it is a fundamental change for everybody involved. Oh. oh. Sorry, um, I just realized you're talking about a, a new position at a different company. So I was talking about like a, an existing oh. company. Um, but jumping into a, a leadership role to an existing team, um, if, if that's what you mean, that's like a definitely a, a, a different situation. I, I think I meant both, really. But uh, yeah, I think <laughs> it doesn't apply. It all. <laughs> um, so... When, when my new role, um, I, I report to the CEO and he hired four developer advocates before um, bringing on uh, a head of. And the head of is not something, I don't think that was like originally planned until they realized that that's something that was necessary for, for someone to kind of build. Like, where is this going? We're doing all these things, but why? And, and where is this leading up to? And um, and there's just so much more to to leading and, and building a developer relations team, and and the goal with our team is to to build a department. And deciding on the department name is, I couldn't think of anything that's fitting because we don't know what the future is going to look like with all the sub teams. So that's something I'm going. Uh, one of my next strategies I'm going to be working on is like, what does our department look like? Um, because of more hires coming in and because I'm expanding teams and as of next quarter, we're going to have an, a, another sub team within the department. Uh, so, um, and, and another thing is uh, an understanding of DevRel being the most important team at the company and prioritizing hires for, for that. Uh, a big selling point for me to join the company, by the way, <laughs> it's nothing better than that. <laughs> I mean, it might be useful context just to hear from you what it is AppRight does. Uh, they are um, a backend as a service, fully open source software. And everyone they've hired is uh, has an open source background or was a contributor of AppRight. Uh, they they're like a, a Firebase alternative and has multiple services like um, databases and authentication and just kind of like a everything, everything for your backend needs. <laughs> oh, great. Um, so the book starts off, as I say, with this, this, this first impressions matter idea, and I'm doing it an injustice by summing it up in, in, in such a simple phrase. But one thing that I, that I, I really appreciated was it talks about reaching a break even point as quickly as possible. And so that's this idea that, there's a point up until which you are taking more out of the company than you're giving back. And whether you're a leader or an individual contributor, that's something we all go through those early days. But in order to be effective, the first thing you need to do is get to the point where you are contributing more than you're taking out. And I think for developer relations, that's, that's really crucial because well, it's crucial in any role, but it's, it's particularly difficult in developer relations because the learning curve isn't just about, oh, you're in a new company, there are new personalities, there are new procedures. 
but you have to learn a whole new technology as well. So I'm, my observation is that as people work their way up the hierarchy in DevRel, they become less day-to-day hands-on with the technology of the company. But nonetheless, for your own credibility, you need to, you need to be somewhat hands-on with it. So how have you dealt with that as, as you've, so as you've moved from role to role and company to company of staying in touch with what's happening with the product with, while also having enough room to do all of the other stuff in your role? Uh, so this position specifically makes it, it's a lot easier because we work very close to the software engineering team and all of our developer advocates have strong software engineering skills. So the collaboration is um, better than I've ever experienced before. Um, it's not the best. Um, there's always room for improvement in, in every area, uh, especially with collaboration. Um, but we're able to keep up with features and changes and bugs. And um, we are we keep up with GitHub issues, GitHub discussions, uh, com- developer feedback. And on, on the personal side of things, trying to stay technical, um, being able to find time, in, especially in this role, is extremely difficult because I have a backlog of priorities and more work than the hours of the day provide. I did spend an entire Saturday on building a Netflix clone following tutorials. And it was like the, and, and I did it on um, Dart. And I've never done anything on that before. I wanted to, I just went straight to like the biggest challenge. Um, I mean, it was not intentional. I like went through the wrong blog post. I meant to go through the view and I was already kind of like halfway through reading like the content part. I'm like, already, I already committed to this one. I guess I'm going to set up a, and, and um, make a mobile app. So that was like probably the coolest thing ever. Um, probably the first like few hours was not fun trying to set everything up that I'd have never set up on my computer. That was the one that took the longest, but setting up the whole backend um, infrastructure for, for a Netflix um, clone was like the coolest thing ever. I'm like, Oh wow, here it is. And it works. And it looks like Netflix. This is amazing. Like this is what this company does. And I wanted to, and I did this at the very beginning of my position. Cause I wanted to just get that same feeling that other new developers are that are trying the product or the, um, the software out. And, and I want to experience that so I can be somewhat on the same um, wavelength. Um, it'd be nice for me to take time to do more tutorials and, and, and build more things. Um, but then I will have to set aside other things and that um, can play a big impact on, on the team. Cause we're doing a lot. We're, we're a startup. So we're doing a lot in a very short period of time, more than any company and anything I've ever seen or experienced before. <laughs> well, it's interesting. The book uh, says that according to a study and forgive me if I don't quote exactly which study, the average time for, I think middle management people to reach their break even point is 6.2 months. And I wonder what that is for DevRel people, because on the one hand, you know, in a company like yours where everything's working at super speed, um, I'm guessing you make 
quick wins early on, but whether you reach break even within 6.2 months or within the average, let's say, I don't know because you have that additional burden of, of learning the tech. Um, like one thing that stood out to when you were to what you were both speaking about is is that providing value. Am I to understand correctly that breaking even in this context means like you know being fully fully onboarded and and providing value? Is that correct? Well, I, I think from the book's point of view, it's the idea that the value you're delivering is essentially higher than your salary and the cost of other people having to answer all your questions and onboard you and all of that. Got it. Because I, I think, think it, sorry. That depends on um, the um, type of company you're at. And mm -hmm. I think that's what you meant by, um, uh, like there's like five different um, business types and then the first one being startup. Yeah, yeah. So the book talks about STARS framework. I've got it yeah. written down here Star somewhere. Stars framework. Um, yeah. When you're at a startup, you're going to be moving a lot faster. I think that a larger company takes more time um, because there's more people to collaborate, more teams to work with, more people to meet. So I would cut that time in half for a startup. By three months, you should be providing more value than, than your salary. But that's my opinion and based on everything that's happened in the last like three, four months. So let's talk about how you get there then, because I'm sure that one of the unspoken things in developer relations is, no, let me scratch that. One of the things we speak about a lot in developer relations now that I think about it. Yeah, one, one of the spoken about things in developer relations is that we don't always know how to report the value that we see in a context that makes sense to the rest of the organization. So I wonder if, you know, what's your experience then of, of not just knowing yourself that you've reached break even, but being able to demonstrate that around the company? Okay. I, I, this is an area that I spent a lot of time thinking of, um, and I've seen an issue where several companies will lay off developer advocates or they'll cut off their dev developer relations team um, because of the rest of the internal company not really understanding the value they're giving. Like you can be a super hyped up team being involved in all these presentations, talks, getting crazy amounts of views on your blog posts. Like you can do a lot of great things, but none of that matters if you don't have internal buy-in. Uh, so I've accomplished this area by, I have like a, a set process and I feel like, I wonder if there's I kind of want to write a blog post on just this topic alone now <laughs> uh, on or internal buy-in. <laughs> I, I, can, I can definitely do that. Um, number one, I, one of the first things I did was meet with all the teams at the company and like, understand like, what, what is your perspective on developer relations? Like, what do you think developer advocates do? What are your expectations of the team? What kind of help are you expecting for any kind of cross team, um, collaboration and trying to see like how they see things before I even take action on, on doing anything. Um, because 
I think it's so important to be able to work with other teams. If you get every team to respect your team, then you're going to get hyped up for everything that you're working on and, and doing and, and have respect from other teams. Even our like web design team is like excited about all, all of our work and really involved in everything that we're doing um, because they have a good understanding of all of our activities. Um, and I try to, and getting other teams involved in, in some way. And uh, another accomplishment with um, getting internal buy-in is look at objectives or major objectives or KPIs of other teams and align one or, or some of your developer relation KPIs with, with things that they're trying to accomplish. If you tie into other teams or departments or even company level objectives, you have um, your team is going to be there forever. There's just no way it'll like, it's going to be an important team. If you become that team that kind of sits off on the side doing your own thing. Um, I just can't guarantee to how long your team is going to last or if you're going to even get more resources for, for bigger budgets or more resources for major projects or more hires. Don't expect that to just magically be handed to you unless you just have a re really great, nice CEOs or executives that just, oh, here's a bunch of money. Here you go. But Ramon, you've recently joined a new company as, a, as an IC, I think, right? I mean, yeah. when I say recently, in the past few months, have you seen right, something yeah. similar where you've done that kind of managing sideways job of going around and, uh, and, and establishing those relationships? Yes. Like when, when especially at, at a company that's, that's small enough, I joined Suborbital back in, in February at the time of recording, it's mid July now. And what I found, what I found is that the company, you know, made up of, around 10-ish uh, people, I was able to go and make one-on-ones with everybody uh, in the team and just get to know everybody, you know, briefly. Yes, we had our our internal documentation that told us a little bit about ourselves, but still I made a point of like going in and, and saying hello and and seeing where where we could collaborate on things. And uh, and actually one thing, speaking as, especially as an IC that I found really helpful to be able to do in my first 90ish days was to be able to go into to our into our open source products and just try them at first time first time blind like with, without having previously looked at them just go in and see how they work and i thought that perspective was super valuable because um there's a term i learned from mr stuart langridge uh the curse of knowledge and I love this because it's it's this concept of like where you've been working on something for really long and you sort of forgotten or lost perspective of where those what those pitfalls are when when you're onboarding onto a new product so being able so as a new team member especially in developer relations somebody who works a lot with developers being able to come in and be like what is what is this term that y'all are using i don't know it you know stuff like that it's it's i find that really valuable it's it's you know i was thinking of that about that when we were talking about value right it's it's kind of like uh, you know becoming what is it breaking even um I find that at the beginning, you're providing lots of value, but different value at the beginning. And that was kind of cool to think about. The book's divided into chapters that are based around one key area of achievement in your first 90 days. The first one is prepare yourself. Um, so this is basically about aligning yourself with the organization. You know, identify 
what the culture of the organization is like. So one thing it talks about is to get buy-in, do you need to find one key champion in the organization or is it more a peer-to-peer kind of thing? And I think that when you've been in a role for a long time in one company and you move elsewhere, it's easy to take with you kind of the the clothing that you've been inhabiting all that time and expect everything to work the same way. That, that, and so, I, w- I would say that's like the number one thing not to do on your first 90 days is, you know, you think you want to, like people are excited to take all their experience and all the things they learned and then move it to the next company. It doesn't work the same way. How you, how, what worked really, really well and made something successful in the last company might create failure in the next company. So you, you have to take that time to learn and soak in information. Yeah. And, and that that's really interesting to me is that this book gives you a practical framework for doing that, that learning work. And that's why I kind of feel so enthusiastic about the book as a source of actual actionable advice. Uh, unlike most of the business books I've read because, you know, it, it, it basically, it talks about the strategy for learning. Um, and let me look, there's, there's a couple of things, um, that it, that it mentions. Well, the first thing is that this stood out to me was the idea that learning is an investment and not a chore. And I know that sounds so obvious, but if I think back to my own career where, you know, I, I remember times when I've been thinking, I, oh, I can't, I can't go and learn that thing, whatever it is, or, or I feel guilty about investing in, in self-improvement because I've got all these deadlines I need to meet, all these goals I've got to meet. But I think it's really crucial, and the book goes into good detail about why, to realize that that investment in learning actually makes you better, makes you more valuable. And in, in order to move very fast, you have to start out very slow. And the slower that you do things, which is when I say slow, it means taking the time to soak in information and, and learn. And um, then you can execute so much faster. And I'm at the stage of, of my position where things can be executed very quickly and very effectively because we're at that stage. So that. As, as I think of it, managing sideways, but those those conversations you've had with different people within the company, those conversations you've had with the CEO, and so on, that that gives you the context that you're operating within. Um, what would you say is your kind of practical advice or your practical takeaway from that process of of if someone's approaching that for the first time, what 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 non-obvious thing have you now do you now know about that process? Um, um which process exactly? Oh sorry, that that idea of of embedding yourself into the culture of the, the organization and and making those foundational learnings, for want of a better way of phrasing it, that that, that enable you then to execute faster later on? Um, I'm trying to think of like the biggest thing I've done wrong or right. 
when when someone asks a question or say like how should we do this um i had i automatically respond with an answer thinking i need to give immediate answers and i'm i'm learning to take a step back and taking each situation and putting some thought around it and giving more more appropriate responses and the more i wait on responding for any kind of answer i I give a better, more impactful response because I have time to think of like pros and cons and, and maybe additional ideas to add to what I have to say. And, and people respect you a lot more for that. Yeah. What a, what an important point to make, because I think I can very much relate with that need to, to respond quickly, to think like, what is more important for me? Like previously I felt like, what is more important that I, that I answer, you know, I, I used to prioritize answering quickly. Um, but yeah, giving, giving something thoughtful. And I mean, that's what makes you a leader, right? You consider all the options and, and all of that. And sorry. I was going to add one, one more item, but you're welcome to finish. <laughs> no, no, go ahead. <laughs> um, an- another thing that I've learned is showing like if you're adopting a team or like have a new team or have a bunch of new hires um letting them know like the best way to work with you because Mm. if you let them know the best way to work with you they're going to be less scared or afraid to send you a message and like for example you know i let the team know you can message me the discord is our main tool you can message me any day anytime on weekends it doesn't bother me I will respond when I'm available to respond. Um, it doesn't bother me at all. I'm not going to feel obligated to respond, you know, in the middle of family time at dinner um, because you're messaging me, messaging me. Like I know that I can wait to respond back on, on my time off. It's not a big deal. So that way they're comfortable asking me questions and um, rather than waiting and then forgetting about it. Um, another thing is like, I let people know, like if you're uncomfortable turning your on your webcam or you just don't want to turn on, I don't care that for all of our, all of our meetings, you can have it on or off. Like that's, they don't, you don't have to provide like an excuse. You don't have to provide or say anything. Just that's something you choose to do and just establishing just how you work and how you see things and, and what my expectations are of them. Um, just provides more transparency between each individual and more comfort and more trust. You really have to build all the transparency and trust and respect. Establishing that before you start doing anything else. <laughs> yeah, that's that's really well put. Thank you. And I think I think that's something that the that the book kind of touched on as well is this importance of of transparency and and it kind of suggests the, you know how important that that sort of you know in order to lead well, one has to be, be well as well. Uh, and, and there is something that, that towards the end of the book that, that, that really stood out to me, uh, and, and, and I actually have it quoted, which is no leader, no matter how capable or energetic can do it all. Um, how important that is to, to bear in mind, because especially as something that we hear about Endeavor a lot is, is people overexerting themselves and to build a team of, of advisors. And I think that this, this reminds me of what you were talking about at the beginning of this recording session, Tessa, about, you know, having, having a, um, a coach, 
uh, not just so not just internal advisors, but also external advisors around your role. Um, that really stood out to me. I w- and, and I'm and I'm wondering, is that something that you've that you've implemented as well? Um, just for my personal side of things and my personal spending. Um, yeah. With working with an executive coach. Gotcha. But I would One recommend things- that to everyone. One hundred percent. I I like I always go over my weakest skills and every weakest skills I've worked with on with my coach is now my strongest skill set and nothing I've ever thought would ever become my strongest skill set. So it's just a very fast pace of personal growth, leadership growth. It's really inspiring. Thank you. Of course. Yeah, I can. And I can keep adding to your last question. Um, of like non-obvious things that I didn't know. And now I know um, they keep just popping up in my head. Um, yeah, great. A- another thing that leaders don't realize, like, like throughout your job, not at the very, very, very beginning, um, like messaging your team members and, or messaging anyone internally and just going straight to talking about work and tasks and, Hey, can you do this? Hey, can you help with this? Like if you only, have those conversations, you can naturally lose respect over time and people start seeing you in a different way with because of human nature, not because of that's just how they are intentionally. Um, it's good to just like catch up with individuals, see how they're doing. Um, if it's your team, if it's people working on your team, check on their mental health, like see if they need any time off. I feel because I've burnt out once before and it like went, made me go crazy and it affected my health and went to the hospital um, from just doing too much. Um, I, I have to take the time to analyze the workload of each individual and how much traveling they're doing and, and letting, and, and, and I also push them to that. It's okay to tell me no. I make that very clear. I don't want people, because I know when you're in a leadership position, people naturally feel like they have to agree and say yes. Like, hey, can you go to this event? Okay, I can do that. Do they want to? That's, it's a leader leader's job to figure out that information out. Like if you have something else going on, let me know. It's like not super urgent. And if it's something that's really important, I'll let you know. And another thing is when I'm messaging people, if I don't expect an instant response, I just say non-urgent, respond anytime or tomorrow. Um, and then I'll put my message down. Because in a leadership role, people think they have to respond to you immediately. So I let them know before my message, every message, if it's non-urgent. And I think that's one of the key things that someone transitioning from individual contributor to leader might not believes to be obvious because once you take on that mantle, the way that people see you and the things that you say change. I was speaking to an executive recently who said, if I ask something in the company, it comes with a certain amount of weight and I have to be careful how I use my capital within the company because everything I request is seen as urgent or important 
Um, and I might just be making an offhand comment, but then find that people will have then behind the scenes scrambled to, to do something that maybe I've forgotten about by the time they deliver it. And I think that's something that I learned when I first went into management was that even though I didn't see myself differently, how others perceived me was different. That's, that's another thing I'm also learning. So I can really relate to that. I've noticed when I'm asking things from other individuals or other team members, they stop everything they're doing and they, they respond and they start working on it. And I just, and I'm like, I've never experienced that before. And, and I came from another company where my whole team were all senior in senior higher level roles. Um, so this was, um, it's, it was eye opening and it changed my perspective on things. And now I'm taking the time to have a conversation about things rather than asking too quickly and kind of understanding what, what they're working on. And if they have time to work on this, let's talk about a timeline. Let me sync with my boss and, and make sure things are okay between us working on this um, and just more, more transparency. Otherwise, things can get very messy and, um, and will decrease team flow rather than create um, um, impact. So we're, we're coming to um, the end of probably our, our time together because we're, we're about 45 minutes in now. Um, and so I was wondering, and Ramon, obviously, you know, anything you want to ask as well, but one, one thing I wanted to ask was you hit the 90, 91st day. What's different qualitatively about 91 to 180 days? From the first 90 days when you're at your 90th day you have a very solid understanding of how your team works how other team works and you should be looking into how can you make your team more efficient how can you make things more efficient between different teams and be working on improving that before you just start mass hiring people you should be if you do hire someone one at a time and then work on building that flow cover and, and understanding where the gaps are and what is missing before adding more to your team. And, and between 90 and 180 days, you should be in like execution stage. Like this is the plan. This is what we're doing. Um, and you're at the point where everyone internally is aligned with your plan. Uh, on your 90 days and you should be executing and launching initiatives, launching project, bu building your developer relations program, basically. What a solid answer to a solid question. I'm, <laughs> I'm super impressed. Thank you both. This was, this has been really cool. Um, I'm really grateful for both of your time doing this. And uh, before we go, um, Tessa, if I may, um, how can folks uh, get in touch with you? Uh, if they want to, if they want to talk about their first ninety days, uh, Twitter is the um, number one thing I check often. Tessa Mero, um, LinkedIn is okay as well, which is Tessa Mero, um, Tessa Mero on everything, <laughs> um, on Discord, Tessa with a capital T, um, hashtag one three three seven, like Leet. <laughs> nice. 
you, you mentioned you'd written uh, some 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 blog posts and so on. Um, where can people find your blog? Um, on my dev.2 account, um, dev.2 slash Tessa Merrill, and it is my most recent blog post. Great. Well, thank you very much for joining us. It's, it's, uh, it's as well, it, it flew by. I had so much more I wanted to ask and talk about, but um, <laughs> I, I, you know, I'm personally looking forward to the blog post uh, that you mentioned about writing and maybe the DevRelCon talk as well. Um, and uh, yeah, really, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. <laughs> thank you. Thank you.